Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and our text this morning will be verses 50 to 58. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 50. Listen to the inerrant word of God this morning. Now I say to you, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be all changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this imperishable must put on this perishable must put on imperishable, and the mortal must be put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and the mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written: Death is swallowed up in sweet victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we tackle our text here this morning. Heavenly Father, again, I praise and thank you for your word. And I pray this morning as we look at it that we will once again be looking forward to that time where we will be transformed into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I just pray that as we go through this text that you will protect your word. I pray that, again, we will understand the point of this passage and that we will again rejoice in the truths that we will be changed, that we will one day be with you in heaven, that we will one day be free from sin and death, and that we will spend eternity with our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I praise and thank you for this text. Help us as we go through it to again see the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, I pray in your name. Amen. Now we've been walking through 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we've been talking primarily about the resurrection, which it is about, but we said that this This chapter is not really about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, though that is touched upon in this chapter. Primarily what Paul is dealing with is a group of people who are denying that there is a physical resurrection of the body. There is a group that have said, we don't believe that people are raised from the dead. In other words, they would really get along with their evolutionary friends who say, you're a product of chance until you die and then you you have a a nap forever in the dirt. But Paul says actually there is a resurrection, you will be raised and you need to recognize that you will be raised. And in fact the hope of the resurrection causes people to be Christ-like and to look forward to him and to and it should affect the way you live. 
So Paul began really this chapter by saying, listen, you believed in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've already agreed that the Lord Jesus Christ has been raised because you believed in that gospel. And if you've already believed that Jesus Christ has been raised, then how hard is it for you to believe that you will be raised? In other words, it's already happened once. And if you say there is no resurrection of the dead, well, that's contradictory to what you already have believed. And so he, he walks them through and says, listen, you need to understand that if Christ isn't raised, your whole faith is worthless. Everything that you believed is gone. You've believed in a hoax. Really, you're living your life and you're to be pitied because you're, just, you're, you're living it. And right now, many of you are sacrificing the things of this world for a future world that's simply not going to take place. But he says Christ actually has been raised from the dead. You know that because you believe in the gospel. And since he's resurrected, you ultimately will be raised. Last time we looked, and some will say, well, how are the dead raised? And we looked at there are those who were saying, well, it's impossible for a body to come out of the ground and be the same. And Paul again says, well, guess what? Your body, you're going to be raised, and though your body will be similar, it's going to be different. You're going to get a new body, and you're going to be transformed. You will get a body like Christ. It will be a spiritual body, though it will be similar. It will come out of this body. It will be made new. It will be made spiritual. And yet, it will still be physical. And so we will bear the image of Christ. And now as he comes to this section, he, he, he continues on and he talks about the transformed body. In other words, what is a transformed body? Why do you need one? How does it work? What's going on with it? Why is it necessary to have a transformed body? How is it going to take place? What do we gain from it? What should we do about it? And he actually answers all those questions in this text. And really, we're going to see four, four truths about the transformed body that should cause us, again, to look forward to that time where we see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face and encourage us to live godly lives today. Now, the first thing that we see as we go to our text is simply this. You need a transformed body for the spiritual existence that you will have in the future. He says, now I say this, brethren. So he says, I'm saying this, and now, now listen to what he says, brethren. And this is a key that we want to keep to understand. He's speaking to believers here. His, 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 his focus is on believers. That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And so he's already set the table here earlier where he's talked about there are heavenly bodies and fleshly bodies. And he's simply saying, as, as he said earlier, all flesh is not the same. There's one flesh for men, another flesh for beasts. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. And he says, here's what's going to happen. You're not going to make it into the kingdom of God unless you have a transformed body. 
Flesh and blood here is simply referring to your physical body, your humanness that is here. And he's already talked about you getting a new body, and he says you're not going to make it into the kingdom of God unless you are transformed. You can't inherit it. The idea is it is, it is inherently impossible for this to take place. You can't get into the kingdom of God if you have this body. In other words, there's coming a time in the future where you're going to be in the kingdom of God and you can't get there unless you have a redeemed body. And so if you don't get a redeemed body, you won't make it into what? The kingdom of God. You simply won't make it into the kingdom of God. He says, it, in other words, you need a body that is suitable for where you're going to live. You need a body that is suitable for where you're going to live, right? We talked about that last time. We don't see fish on the shore, do we? We don't see them swimming. So you can't take your physical body into the kingdom to come. So the question then becomes, what do we mean by the kingdom of God? What do we mean by the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? Well, this has been variously defined by theologians and men much brighter than myself. Some have said this is talking about the sovereignty of God and his rule over all. Anything that God is ruling over, which means everything would be under his kingdom and his universal role. Others would say, well, God is ruling in the hearts of people now. And then ultimately when we get, when Christ returns, we will go into the eternal kingdom. Others would say, well, well, no, what's taking place here is actually the kingdom of God is happening. What's taking place is the kingdom of God is being fulfilled. We talked earlier in the passage that Jesus was going to hand the kingdom over to his father and God would be all in all. And so the kingdom, what we would say here is the kingdom of God is being used in a consummative sense in which after the millennial kingdom, God gives, Christ gives the kingdom over to his father and into the eternal state. There are those who will continue into the eternal state. You must have a redeemed body in order to go into the kingdom. There are others that say, well, no, 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 no. I think what this means is the kingdom of God is speaking of the Old Testament kingdom. And what he's saying is any New Testament believer today will never see the millennial kingdom unless he first dies. And first, unless he is first given a new body and then he can go into the kingdom of God. Now, I have looked at this carefully most of the men that I would, that I look to <laughs> when I don't know what I'm, when I'm unsure, have, have said that this is referring to the fact that at Christ, after the millennial kingdom, is giving over the kingdom to God the Father in a consummative way. And therefore, what he's saying is, you will never be able to go into the eternal kingdom without having a redeemed body. Now, that could be true. And, we, and, and the one thing that I want, want to say, 
beyond all doubt, everyone, every believer should agree that no one will go into the eternal kingdom with the body they have, right? No one will. So, th so that we all agree on, right? But if I'm consistent with, with my understanding of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, when John the Baptist came preaching the kingdom of God, he was thinking in an Old Testament sense, the kingdom with the Messiah on the throne in Jerusalem, with Israel in the land in peace. And so when Christ came, he said, the kingdom of God is near. He said, the king is here. You need to recognize him. I'll set up my kingdom. And so I lean to the idea, and I want to say lean, that he is speaking here of, of the millennial kingdom. No one who's alive today will inherit the kingdom of God. You won't get into the millennial kingdom unless you're saved, unless you have a new body and you are raised. And part of it is the context here, because next verse he starts talking about, behold, the mystery, we will not all sleep, but we all change in a moment, a twinkling of an eye. And we'll get into that in the next verse. However, I want to make it clear, you're not going to get into the eternal kingdom without having a change of body. And so Paul says, you need to be transformed because you will never spend eternity with God unless you have your body changed. Okay, so, and, and I, I've given you a lot of details, but I want you to understand, and I do not want you to lose the point. You need a change of body because you're going to a change of address and you're going to a change of sphere and you need to recognize you need a physical body and without it, you won't get it. And so he says very clearly, you need a transformation you need a body change for where you're going. And so he says, all, if you're going to get there, brethren, and again, he's speaking to those in the church. He says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You can't go into the kingdom of God with the body that you have. Well, secondly, he says, not only do we need to be transformed for, for the spiritual reality we will be in, but he says this transformation of body is for all believers, for all believers. He says this, for the living and the dead. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Behold here, pay attention. Look, perceive for yourself. Do it now, don't delay. What I'm about to tell you, I want you to see with excitement and admiration. I want you to look at this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We all love mysteries, don't we? But biblically, we know that a mystery is not something that's hard to understand. It's not something where we have to go and look, open up the, you know, and we have to search and look and try to figure out. A mystery in scripture is simply the revelation of something that has been hidden. And in scripture, we're talking about the counsel of God and the truths that he reveals to us. And he says, I'm going to reveal to you a mystery, something that has not been known in the past, but that is known now. And he says, I've got, a, I've got, a, I've got some inf new information for you that you haven't seen before. 
He says, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. And he says, here's something I want you to tell you. When Christ returns, we will not all sleep. In other words, again, we talk about the word sleep being a a euthanism for death for a believer. It's supposed to be a temporary repose where we we simply go into the grave, our spirits go to heaven, but with the expectation, just like sleep, that we will get, we will rise again. You don't lay down to sleep thinking you're not getting up, right? You go, you, well, the expectation is you're going to get up again. And so for the believer, when we place you in the grave, that is w- with the expectation that you will rise again. And so Paul says, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. The word changed here has the idea of, of, of being not, not replacing, but the idea of, of a substitution. It literally means uh, different, but of the same kind. In other words, your body, you're not getting a completely new body. You're getting one that's changed. It's being changed. You're still, there's part of you that's, there's some continuity because when when you come out of the grave, we're going to know who you are. We're going to know what you look like. I know some of us are hoping for an upgrade, but we're going to know who, what you look like, right? And we're going to, we're going to know who you are. And he says, we will all be changed. We will no longer have this body of sin. We'll no longer have this body that is made from the dust. We will have a body that is made after our Lord Jesus Christ. It will be a spiritual body. And then he says this. We will be changed. And you think, well, how will we be changed? How will, we, how will this metamorphosis take place? Right? You think, well, well, how will we be changed? I hope, I, I've seen a lot of movies and I've seen people change, right? And I've seen them, the monster come out from them and it's been painful. And, or, or are we going to be put in a cocoon and we're going to have to spend some time? Well, he says, no, actually, this is going to be very quick. He says, in fact, it, it's going to be extremely fast. He says, in a moment, in a moment. And again, this word moment is, is really the word where we get the word Adam from. It was used of, of something that couldn't, that couldn't be cut. It's specifically used of time. In other words, you couldn't cut time. It was too small. And, that, and that's why they used the word Adam, because the Adam at one time was thought to be the smallest indivisible part of matter. Then they discovered protons and croutons. No. <laughs> Sorry, I'm already back to, to Easter lunch there. But right, they, they found other parts that can divisible, and I haven't been in school for a while. I'm not sure if they found more. But the idea is it will happen so quickly that you, it's in instantaneously in the fact that you can't measure it. And then he says, in the twinkling of an eye. Now this is not well, this is not a dating term here where you have a twinkle in your eye. What he's talking about here can either be the fact that you're, the movement of your eye when you blink. Some have said it, it is the idea of the light going from the front of your eye to the back of your eye. 
Either way, it's the fastest human movement that we have. And he says, this is how fast you're going to be changed. You're not going to have to wait for it. You're not going to go through a period of time. It's going to happen immediately. So he says, there's going to come a time where we're not all asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in a twinkling eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised in imperishable and we will be changed so he says there's coming a time and this this change this instantaneous change is coming but it's coming at the last trumpet so what do we mean by last trumpet because last can mean last in a number of series last can mean uh, least important last can also mean at the end of something at the like at the end of an age So we can't really find out here whether the word, by parsing this word, which would be so nice and easy, we're actually going to have to look at the rest of Scripture. And so we ask ourselves, is there something similar to this? Is there something similar with the same language that we see in Scripture that is similar to this? Well, we we do. In 1 Thessalonians chapter, I'm not sure where I put it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Now he's writing to a group who think that the day of the Lord has come, that they have missed the, the, the gathering of believers together. They are concerned about the fact that the dead have missed it. They believe that the, 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 those who are, are asleep, those believers who have gone before them, have missed the gathering of the Lord, and therefore they will not see them again. And Paul says, But I do not want you to be informed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus Christ rose again, even so God will bring with him those who are fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now that's fairly similar language, is it not? Here in 1 Thessalonians, he's discussing the rapture of the church and the taking out of believe the church from the world and he says listen there's going to come a time where christ is going to sound the trumpet the dead in christ will rise first they need to start going first they're six feet under so they need they need to get going right then we will who are alive and remain will be caught up with them and we will go with them in the air so they don't get there first they just start first right and he says here, here's that trumpet that is sounded. Now, there's some temptation to, to think that this is the trumpet of Revelation chapter 4, 
There are various trumpets that sound judgments in Revelation. But we would understand that this is taking place when the church is raptured before the tribulation. And so he says, this is what's taking place. For the trump will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. In other words, we will be given the new body and we will be changed. This is when it's going to take place. When that trumpet sounds, Christ is going to end the church age. That's that last trumpet. And we, it's not that there aren't more trumpets and there are different trumpets, but this is the trumpet that we will hear and we will be changed. For the perishable must put on imperishable and the mortal must put on immortality. We must put aside our perishable bodies to receive our new bodies. The idea there is, is to put on is the idea of clothing. And he says, we're going we're gonna to clothe ourselves. We're going to take off the old. We're going to put on the new and we will be new. Again, we see similarities here. Jesus said in John 14, 1, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me also. In my Father's house are many dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am. The only way for you to be in the presence of God is for you to have a redeemed body. You can't take this flesh and blood body with you. Paul says, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. And so he says, this, there's a, going to come a time where, we, where all believers, all the church will be transformed. We will have a new body. It will be done instantaneously in the twinkling of an eye. And we will, we will receive that at that last trump when the trumpet sounds and we are taken up to be with our Lord. We will hear the end of the, we will, it will herald the end of the church age where all believers will be removed. So he says, you're transformed, first of all, for your new, the, the new place that you're going. He now says you're transformed. All believers are transformed. So if you're a believer, you're going to have a transformed body. Nobody gets left out. We're not going to have to worry about those in the grave. We're not going to have to worry about those who are alive. All will be included in this change. Well, thirdly, he says, here are the benefits, or here's the victory that is won by our transformation. He says in verse 54, but when the imperishable will have been put on, the imperishable, but when the perishable will have put on imperishable and the mortal shall have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And we could almost say that after 
receiving our redeemed bodies, that there is going to, this is going to be the response of worship that we have. This will be the song that will flow from us in response to what has happened. We will simply sing, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is personified as our enemy. It is that enemy that has been against us since Adam fell. All men have been under the curse of death and sin. But now it's almost like we've swallowed it completely. It's been swallowed up, completely swallowed. Paul is quoting Isaiah 25.8. He will swallow up death for all time. For all time means forever, permanently, successfully. In other words, when you get your redeemed body, you will never die again. Death has no power over you. Death is not merely destroyed so that cannot do further harm while all the harm which it has wrought on God's children remains. The tornado is not merely checked so that additional homes are wrecked while those who are wrecked still lie in ruin. Death and all the apparent victories are are done for God's children. Did you get that? I got got a yes and I got a no. Starting to feel like FOF this morning. He's saying this, all the damage that sin has done will be repaired when death is swallowed up. All, all, the, all the victories that it seemed like it won will be all undone. And we have for, to look forward to that. And so he says, we will have victory. We will have victory over death. He says in verse 55, O death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Where is your sting? How, how, you, you no longer are victorious. You no longer are the one that is in charge. You no are the longer one who is ruling us. Death is lost. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Paul implies that death left its sting in Christ as the bees leaves a stinger in its victim. Christ bore the whole death sting in order that we would not have to bear none of it. Death is like a, like a serpent or a, a bug that stings us and leaves us in pain. And so he says, look, where is, the de- where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. He says, we no longer have that sting. He says, the sting of death is sin. In other words, sin causes us, causes us death. Death is not simply the result of decay, rather it is the result of deadly poison, sin itself, which became all the more energized in our lives through acquaintance with the law. And he says, and the power of sin is the law. Now what does he mean by that? He simply means that the law of God was given 
in order to what? Demonstrate our inability to what? To keep it. In fact, the law, it, rather than causing people to be righteous, causes them to what? Reject it. Paul said, right? I coveted until the law said me not to covet, and then what did I do? I coveted all the more. And sin, sin, the law just brought death. It was not able to save. It was only able to condemn. And so, in essence, the law gives sin's power because we reject the truth of God's word. We reject his law. And so his point is this. The law, all that the law can do with sin is stir it up. That's all, that's all the law can do. It can just stir up sin. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can wash it away. And so he says the, the power of the law is just to cause us to sin. And then he says, but be thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace from him. Thanks, grace from God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is him who died. It is him who paid the price for sin. It is him who now gives us this victory. And it is because he came and died on the cross. And it's because he paid the price for sin on that cross. And it's because he rose again and has a new body that we have victory. We have victory over sin. We too will be raised and we too will have a new body. He is the medium by which we receive that victory. Well, we've seen this morning that we, with our transformed body, we are transformed for our new place of life. We've seen that we are transformed, all of us. We've seen that in, in being transformed, we get victory, we get triumph, because now we have power over death and sin. And then lastly, our transformation should cause us to live godly lives. Therefore, in light of what I've told you and the fact that you will have a transformed body that will be changed, and because you're changed, and because God has changed you and he's changed all of you, and because now you have victory over sin and death, he says, with that hope, therefore, in light of that, my beloved brethren, and again speaking to believers, be steadfast, be unmovable. Steadfast has the idea of, of, of settling down and, and, and hanging on. And immovable has the idea, a similar idea, but the idea is, is somebody can't push you off of it. Somebody can't pull you off of it. Be immovable. In other words, settle down and don't let anybody push you off of it. And so he says, be steadfast and immovable. Immovable in what? Steadfast in what? In being obedient, right? In the hope that we have. Therefore, in, in that hope, we live in obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. 
always abounding in the work of the Lord. This is what you need to be doing. Settled in the hope of the resurrection, settled in the hope of our new body, we now go about doing the work of the Lord. In other words, we now start to work out what he's working in us. We now do the works of righteousness that he has called us to do. In fact, the, the, not just that he's called us to do, that the works that he has before ordained that we should walk in them, which means you will walk in them if you're a believer. And so he says, you're always abounding in the work of the Lord. This is what you need to be doing. The idea of abounding is overflowing. Beyond, beyond normal. He says, you, you need to be abounding in the work of the Lord. It's not just something that you're supposed to, to you know, kind of do. I think, well, I have the hope of the resurrection and I have the hope of a new body and I have the hope of being with like Christ. So maybe like after football or hockey or knitting or whatever it is for you, I'll spend some time, maybe I'll do some, I'll see about doing some things that are of spiritual value. I'll, I'll, I'll go about doing the things that God calls me to do. He doesn't say that. He says abounding. And, and the idea is, is going, going beyond, as it were, uh, going, going beyond the norm, overflowing, this should be an aspect of your life that abounding in the Lord means that you are, you are giving beyond. Not, not just a little, not just the average, but overflowing, abounding. And so he calls us to be abounding in the work of the Lord. Now again, we are working in the Lord, work of the Lord he says, knowing, and the idea here is not knowing by experience, but, but, but by, by comprehension, having comprehended, having thought about it, having put all the pieces together, that your toil, the work that you are putting in, the idea that you are working for the Lord and that you are working hard for the Lord, that all of these things that you do in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, whether you share the gospel, whether you live a godly life, Whatever you are doing, it is not in vain. It's not worthless. It's not empty. And he says, you are, it's not in vain in the Lord. In other words, the work that's done is in the Lord's power. The work that is done here is for the Lord's glory. And he says, listen, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. And he says, this should be your motivation. This should be motivate you knowing that you will be transformed, knowing that you will be changed, knowing that you have victory over death. This should be the thing that causes you to be steadfast, immovable. This is what we call the perseverance of the saints, continuing to abound in the work of, of God. And you have the assurance. You have the assurance that what you're doing isn't vain. You're not going to be the guy back here who's to be most pitied, right? But you actually have the assurance that everything that you do for the Lord, regardless of the sacrifice, regardless of the difficulty, if you're pleasing to Him, it's not vain. Because this isn't your final home. 
and it's not even your final body. Bit of a relief, but it's not your final body. You're going to be changed. And so he says, this should spur. Doctrine always spurs what? Righteous behavior. Doctrine is immensely practical. In light of this, guess what? Stand firm. Be obedient. Do the work of the Lord. Because you know it's not in vain. You know there's going to come a time where you're going to be given a new body for a new place. And you will have victory over death and sin. Beloved, we, we, we are on the winning side here. Now we look at scripture and we may not win on this earth. We know that. But we win in the end. We win in the end. We get a new body. We don't die. We live forever with our Lord Jesus Christ. Forever in all eternity, worshiping God in his presence. That's what we have to look forward to. And so, let us look forward to that time where our bodies are transformed. Look forward to that time where we will be with our Lord Jesus Christ. But until then, let us always abound in that hope, knowing that our toil is not in vain. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we again thank you for your word. And we thank you that we have the hope that we will one day be changed. And that when you return, that you will transform us into the image of your son. And that we will no longer have to deal with death. We will no longer have to deal with loss. We will no longer have to deal with the power of sin. And we praise and thank you for that. And we thank you above all else that because we have a new body and because we have been transformed that we will now be able to go into your kingdom and we will get to dwell with you. And there's nothing in our hearts that we cry more for than to see our Savior face to face. And so we look forward to that time. But until then, I pray that we would be, we would persevere. We pray that you would give us the strength to persevere, to be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord, I pray. In your name, amen.